You're listening to Podcasting Paradigms with David Truss and my guest, Jonathan Slater. Jonathan, hello. Hello, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Uh, so currently, I'm an elementary school principal, uh, K-5, to and uh, started out my career as an elementary school teacher, uh, moved on to middle school teacher, moved on to middle school vice principal, and of course, what I'm doing now. Um, so that's my educational kind of background there. Excellent. And I had an opportunity when you were a teacher to walk into your classroom. And it literally, without exaggeration, was like I walked into um, a fantasy land, underwater fantasy land. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's interesting because um, I, re- I remember that quite vividly because we were in the midst of a work to rule, not quite a strike yet. And I was a teacher and you had come in to do supervision, if I'm correct, right? That is, that is correct, yeah. yeah. Um, and and, and was, I found myself coming back to your classroom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was supposed um, to be there just for the outside uh, supervision during recess or lunch. I think yeah. it was lunchtime. And uh, yeah, at the end of lunch, I would drift into your classroom. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because that started to happen quite a bit. And, um, you know, sometimes I think, especially in elementary school, uh, we got into these silos where you kind of were afraid to show and talk to others about what you were doing and your door was kind of closed. Unless you're really at a, a school where you feel really comfortable and you got an awesome teaching partner, I think, you know, the experience... Uh, that I had starting off was trying to figure everything out on my own and what I started to do around the time that you had come in there is um, it's like a switch went off in my brain because I was getting involved through my master's work in imaginative education and uh, I just kind of totally switched and flipped things around and decided you know I'm going to try some new things I'm going to explore with this group of kids that I have this year and we're going to do some fun things and I'm going to open my door and I'm going to invite people into the mess. And that's kind of what happened there. Awesome. Now you, you use the term imaginative learning. That's uh, that was your master's with, with uh, Kieran Egan at SFU, Simon Fraser university. Can you explain to people who that may be a new term, what that is all about? Yeah. Um, So the imaginative education research group, has now changed into um, uh, something slightly different, but still the core and heart of it is having imagination at the heart of learning. And, you know, it would take a long experience and time to describe imagination and what we mean by that word. Um, But essentially, it's a way to look at learning where there's a set of tools in our thinking, which Karen called the cognitive tools, and they help us to um, mediate learning in the same way that Vygotsky talked about language being a mediational tool to learn. So I guess the best way to describe it is we can't just give work to our students or our learners and expect them to directly um, apply it. Like 
here's the concept, do it. And the idea behind imaginative learning is that we employ or use all these different tools that kids are already exploring in regular life, but we're bringing them into the school setting. So an example would be through role play. An example would be, um, you know, drama and games or collections and hobbies, these kinds of things that Kieran really developed this theory over 30 plus years. Um, you know, extremes and limits. Kids at a certain age are opening up the Guinness Book of World Records because they want to find out what's the most extreme thing on this topic. And so in imaginative learning, the idea is bring that in to a math lesson, bring that into science, bring in um, what Karen calls the humanization of meaning, which means people in history have actually come up with the concepts we're working with today. It's a human um, continuum that we're on. And so what I started to do when you came into my classroom was I put kids in those experiences and we just um, fully explored that and had a lot of fun. And, but imaginative learning isn't a fluffy kind of a concept. It's actually getting to deep thinking and deep learning. Um, so it brings in a lot of other uh, educational philosophers and pedagogy, such as Vygotsky and others that give it a real solid grounding. So um, yeah, it's interesting because when you use the word imagination, right away I think people's minds go towards something um, not structured or deep that uh, oh well you know if you look at the surface of it you think oh, well this is chaotic because kids are what are they doing because um, I had a lot of people that came in to visit my class not just you I had um, assistant superintendents and different people that were visiting started to visit was when I um, switched to middle school too I continued to have visitors into my room and I had people connected to me from other countries that were interested in what was going on. So um, it was really interesting. Yeah. And you did get a teacher award as well, didn't you? Yeah. So part of that whole experience along that time, of course, is that um, I got the prime minister's award for teaching excellence. Um, I mean, essentially what it was, to be honest with you, Dave, is that teachers at my school recognized that something different was going on and they're the ones that, nominated me and of course it goes through all that process but um to me i was just became excited and passionate about what i was doing i think that's probably the biggest thing that changed in me and i started to spend my summers planning these things i would look at the trajectory of the year through the concepts in language arts math social science and i would try to put a narrative or story that threaded all those things through. So that's where I came up with my, my themes. You know, one year we were in a medieval kingdom um, because we were studying about explorers and things like that. So I started to think about what's the story on this topic. And that's really one of the big things in Kieran's theory and in imaginative learning is that story and narrative brings meaning and context to help us understand things. And so, uh, you know, you can think about in math or science or anything. If you if you connect kids to the story on the topic and not just here's the activity and complete it, it gives a totally different um, meaning and context, and they start to become interested. For example, 
um, Google, the concept of the number of Google, not Google the search term, but Google the number was actually created by a person who, who came up with um, that concept. And it was actually uh, his nephew that was a toddler or something that was running around saying, Google, Google. And so when I would talk to kids about the concept of number, I would explore these stories with them and then we would um, work on really big numbers of things and we had all kinds of experiences I would do with them. But then I would have kids write about numbers and big numbers and then I had kids that decided they were going to create a new number and name it. And so it, for me it, in the imaginative education piece, it was about putting kids in that human history of concepts that these aren't just things being done to them, but they are a part of them. That's excellent. I appreciate that because I was going to ask you for a specific example. And I think <laughs> I got lots, but sometimes I ramble. <laughs> uh, no, not at all. Um, for, for you, you know, one of the things that you talked about was that messy nature of doing things that way. And I, yeah. I can understand and appreciate that with, uh, um, you know, now in year eight of inquiry hub, yeah. I'm, there are times when, you know, inquiry learning is definitely a, uh, messy way to learn. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it doesn't follow a regular path, no matter how hard you try. Um, for you working with um, elementary students and having that that messiness, what what's what are some of the things that you did to make it sort of uh, not overwhelming uh, when you're kind yeah. of yeah yeah um, well, and it was the same thing that I had to start to think about uh, with educators because I started to also do a lot of professional development presentations in that time because I wanted to just share what was going on. And so for the students, for the parents, for the other educators, I had to figure out a way to describe and give a proper experience of all the things that were going on that had changed in my mind as well. So sometimes it was about giving a one lesson, a one practical example, one explanation of what was going on. And when I would um, do some of these presentations, I remember also I would go up to the university and I would present with Kieran and others and I would do these hour, two hour kind of presentations, but it still came down to what is the experience for the learner? Um, how can I give them this imaginative messy thing and then also give them time to reflect give them time to connect with each other give them time for a break i mean sometimes the worksheet came later and they were just thankful to have some downtime because they <laughs> their brains had been going so hard they were just happy to do a basic worksheet of something so my days flipped from uh, honestly, at the beginning of my teaching career, where I was just in survival mode, like I think we all are, and I was planning lessons, you know, what I thought were really great lessons, and some of them were good, um, but I would keep kids busy. And what flipped for me was the deep learning piece and me spending time and then giving kids experiences where the the stuff that I did before became the little pieces in between to give them a break, basically. Um, you know, one, one good example too, because I think it helps people, if, if anybody's listening to this, um, uh, was I did an action research um, 
piece on um, weather, uh, the concept of weather. And this would be now, I think it's moved grades, but let's say any, any student that's in between grades four and eight is going to hit the concept of weather in their learning at some point. So um, I did a lot of things. I won't tell you all the things I did within this unit, but it was a massive undertaking for me to really look at how can I use the tools, the cognitive tools, um, to bring to life this concept of weather rather than just having kids um, go out and you know measure things like a rain gauge and do little experiments with wind and those things which are all great i used this imaginative framework to build uh an entire story so what happened was i actually became another character i became um frank showers was my name and i dressed up and i came in um, as this meteorologist so when i was doing my action research with the kids i actually interviewed them as this other person this meteorologist i made it fun um but and like i said there's a lot of other things that i could talk about for the tools that are important as an imaginative educator um, one of them is change of context you change completely the environment that you're in to uh, make it more interesting. So me coming in as another character is a role play, but it's also a change of context. It ch changes completely the environment kids are working in. And almost you could see kids thinking like, what is going on here? Like this is, this is totally unexpected. Um, but part of one of the, I'll just maybe break it down now to one concept we did, which was air pressure. And the concept of air pressure can be quite simple, but it's also very abstract. So one of the things that I can explain as far as imaginative education is, I use the concept of getting kids to connect with the feelings in their body, the somatic experience, as Kieran describes it, to understand and actually a quite a complicated abstract concept about how the pressure gradient force of the the wind creates a change in air pressure for kids when i was teaching them at grade four to understand a large abstract concept it's not meaningful to them but what is meaningful is the experience that they have and the way that they can then use that to gain an understanding of a larger concept so what happened is i was thinking i had to think through all these things as a teacher when i was rethinking how i would teach and so when I came to the concept of air pressure, I realized, well, what is it? What, what, what is happening? And in air pressure, when you have changes from low pressure to high pressure, you have a change in the space of where those air molecules go. Um, so I decided I was going to make kids become the air molecules. So in this room, this large room, I imagined it like a bicycle pump for them. And we did some drawings about bicycle pumps and I had them, um, push the lever of the bicycle pump down and then they would first draw air molecules in the space and then when they pushed it down they would do a new drawing with the same number of air molecules in a smaller space and I was trying to describe to them about uh, low pressure high pressure uh, because in our brains it actually goes opposite it's the the high pressure is when if you think of it about it visually is when the bar goes lower and the area is smaller so I decided that wasn't enough. So I had the kids become these air molecules in this large room and I got a high jump bar 
and I stretched it across the rim and I had the kids in the space as air molecules. And I said, what is it? What do you need to be shaped like to be an air molecule? So they were all trying different things out and they got squished into little um, kind of like the fetal position rolling around. And I said, now um, a high pressure system is coming in. So then I took the high jump bar and I started to move it across the rim and kids got excited and they were making noise. But eventually, um, when I pushed it all the way across the room, they were all confined in this little space together. And then I asked them different questions and I said, how are you feeling? And kids said, squished, you know, and I said, well, tell me more. And then kids started to say things like, it's getting warm in here. And so, you know, I could go on and on about that, but basically out of that, we got the concept that in a high pressure system, you're going to have the compact, um, bringing together air molecules, it's going to be hotter in the environment. I mean, when you think about weather, this is what's happening on a basic level. It gets warmer when there's a high pressure system coming in. But kids experienced it. They had a somatic sensory experience that then they could leap from and even get deeper into their learning. So um, again, I could ramble on and on and on because I get excited and passionate about this, but that's one example there. Of so that's, a, that's, that's a fantastic example, right? Because it, it, it literally gave them the physical experience of what yeah. it was. And, and I uh, bet for you, you're also having some imagery go on in your mind right now of what, what it looked like. And that's part of the imaginative um, toolkit is that you, you can see it. You can visualize what we're talking about. That's excellent. Yeah. So what I'm what I am going to ask you to do is to to share a few links and and at least one or two images from your classroom uh, that I can put on to um, the. Oh podium. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that would be fantastic. So, is yeah. there anything else you would like to talk about imaginative learning before we move on to our one other topic that we're going to chat about? Um. No, I mean the thing is, is that uh, I just know that when I. I would present to teachers. I ended up having um, people show up to repeated sessions. And what I realized is that every time that I would share, I mean, if you and I did this podcast again, I would probably give you completely different stories because it just is, it's endless. It goes on and on about the number of um, examples I could share because I'm relying on that toolkit of understanding that could be applied in many, many situations. So um, that's kind of the exciting thing about it is that um, there seems to be no end. And what we say in, um, as far as imaginative educators is that we're thinking about what's possible. You know, Kieran talks about not just starting from where kids are at, but, but actually thinking about what is possible for them to do in a future sense. And so, um, I guess the best way to describe it to other educators too is this idea that Vygotsky also had about scaffolding learning and dynamic assessment about what kids are able to do beyond where they are and not just thinking about, well, what do they know already? How are we going to move them to the next step? I mean, this is really about pushing them much further in their learning. That's, that's why I get excited to still think about these things, even as a principal now, about what could we do in our school that could really push kids a lot further in their thinking instead of just having them in their regular routines and say, well, they, you know, they learned their math concept they were supposed to learn this year and they, they're advancing a little bit in their reading scores. Um, to me, it's really about meaning making and developing deep, passionate learners. 
That's awesome. I read a quote by James Clare yesterday. Um, I'm really big on his Atomic Habits book. And uh, it says, study as if you know nothing, work as if you can solve anything. And I think that that's a, a little summary of what you were saying there. Um, yeah. what, one last thing on that topic. Uh, you said Karen and Imagine Learning made a shift. What is that shift that's happened? Um, so Kieran is, uh, I guess, retired, but he's still involved with the group. But basically, they've moved to, I, I want to make sure I don't mess up the name, but I believe it's the Center for Imaginative Research and Cultural Education. So Jillian Judson, um, her, her um, handle is at Perfinker, and she's the one that's really motivated to continue on with the work. And... Um, and so she's doing a lot of work in the area of imaginative education, in the area of ecological imaginative education, in uh, leadership, uh, imaginative leadership um, work. So I'm still connected with that group. And um, I think the idea for all of us, whether you're in imaginative education or not, is being networked to people that have a like-minded um, passion that, uh, because we can't do this alone, we need to, the purpose and idea of connecting with you um, has been that I think whether we share the full understanding of imaginative learning or not, we connect on an idea as educators, as leaders about how to make learning better for kids. And I think that's important for all of us. Yeah. And it's been really neat connecting with you in the last uh, little while, especially over Twitter um, yeah. and shifting gears a little bit. Um, one of the things that, um, I did a little while ago was, um, I, st I started sharing, uh, little videos and clips about my, um, my fitness goals. Um, and, uh, then you started, um, sharing stuff about getting back into running. Yeah. And, uh, what I love is, um, you know, when you do one of your runs, you'll actually tag me. Uh, yeah. yeah, you know, you're not just trying to, you're not just trying to, uh, show off. Um, it's something I'm interested in and we kind of keep each other honest with, uh, our workouts and the kind of things we do. So tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, I'll, I'll share a link to, to what I did with my goals. Um, yeah. uh, but tell me a little bit about kind of your transition from, uh, a more sedentary life to, to mm -hmm. one that's a little more active. Yeah. And, um, for me, it actually came um, from some of my readings. So Adam Welcome wrote a book, Run Like a Pirate, and he's a marathon runner and he's an educator. And um, this is usually how things work for me in life is I get um, pretty intense about things, but I always have been a runner. And when I did my master's work and when I was teaching early on, I would go out and run and that was my way to filter all the things that were going on in my brain. And um, it allowed me to uh, just get to a place where my thinking was clear. And so that's always been my part of my process. Um, you know, having kids and different things that get in the way in life, I did um, kind of push that aside for a while and realized um, that it was affecting my health, that things were not going as well as they could be for me. And so I just, another switch kind of went off in my brain and decided after reading that book, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get back into this and I'm gonna get back into this with um, some seriousness. And that's kind of what happened. Um, I may have lost a few 
Twitter followers over my repeated uh, tweets of running. But what I was interested in actually for my own self too, um, other than posting, because in his book, he says, you know, make it public so that it becomes a routine and, and it's some form of accountability, which I actually believe is true. But mm-hmm. other than that, I've, I'm always interested to see over time, what kind of patterns developing, what kind of changes are happening. And sometimes those changes are so um, incrementally small that we don't notice them at first, but I can go back now and track every run because I've got an Excel spreadsheet and see how my times have improved by just a few seconds here or there and things like that. And um, so I started to push myself and challenge myself. Um, Before COVID-19 hit, I was training for a marathon here, but that will be a dream for another day. Uh, But it's been good and it's been good connecting with you and others um, where I see that same kind of interest to take care of ourselves um, and be healthy because ultimately as educators and leaders, that's critically important. And I think I had forgot about that for a while and running has been a way to reset myself and be in a healthy mindset, be healthy in my body. And it's helped my thinking improve and be, have that time to reflect on what I'm doing. Yeah. That, that making it public has been really important for me too. And, um, you know, uh, for you, you have your, your Excel sheet. I have a, a sticker chart that I track four, four different things, uh, meditation, um, time restricted eating, uh, either reading or, um, audio books or, um, or writing and then, um, actual exercise and fitness on a, on a regular basis. And, um, that making it public piece, uh, is something that uh, I think people take for granted. You know, I, I always say that in the world of, uh, you know, uh, rewards and punishments, carrots and sticks. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm more motivated by the stick than the carrot. Right. And, and the idea of sharing that I'm going to try something publicly and um, has motivation for me that I simply would not have if I wasn't sort of public about it. Right. So, yeah. So the I think it's a good thing for um, anyone, but, it, but especially educators. I mean, that's the thing about um, Twitter is that, um, you know, it's funny because when I think about Twitter and I think about my first experience, I remember seeing something from MC Hammer. He was tweeting about, you know, what he was eating and stuff. And, but then I saw him in an interview once and he said, no, you see people think they're just hearing about what I'm eating, but soon they're going to, find out what I really think about things. And so sometimes we're tweeting about, you know, funny things. Like there's a thing going back and forth about your favorite hockey players right now, but then you get some real deep connection with other people. Um, So for me, it's not like it's a Trojan horse because the running piece is important, but then I also put out other things other than running that to me are really meaningful. And I think what's important though with the running piece is that I get to, sorry for the pun, but run that agenda. Nobody else is telling me what to do. And I think especially as educated leaders, we have a lot of information that's downloaded on us about expectations, but my running time is my time. It's my time to prioritize. It's my time to just carve out that time 
Nobody else can interfere. Nobody's telling me what to do. And so that's why it's also become really important. And I hope that that's a message that comes through to people too, that take care of yourself, make time for yourself. It doesn't have to be running, um, but certainly physical health is important. So those, that's, that's kind of what's going on for me with that. Yeah. So, I mean, make time for yourself and then um, share a little bit of that self as part of your social media profile. Um, and, yeah. you know, it doesn't have to be the be all end all. Uh, no. you, know, you said you, you, you might have lost a couple followers <laughs> because you're tweeting so much about your running. But at the same time, when I look and see um, someone taking care of themselves uh, and that is part of their profile that makes them, you know, that that to me adds value to who they are right because um when when you know when someone's able to take care of themselves um they're better able to take care of other people as a leader yeah. i think yeah, for and, sure and we lose sight of that sometimes and i know that i'd lost sight of it before um you know a year ago january when i really decided that i have to shift i have to shift what i'm doing for myself to be better um, elsewhere, right? And yeah. um, you know, I, I write this daily blog now, and and it, I'm sure people would see that as an absolute chore, right? And I'll, right. I'll admit that there are some days where I've, I look at my you know 17 drafts, and I don't want to, I don't want to use any of them, and um, and so uh, you know, I'm sitting there wondering what I'm going to write that day, but um, yeah. I I plan it the night before. I have an idea. I sometimes start it the night before. And then when I start writing, it becomes this moment that I have of control of myself and what I want to do and what I want to share. Um, and yeah, I quite honestly, I probably lost some people because, you know, <laughs> they don't want to read about my, um, the thing that I'm posting every single day that I share on, on social media. Um, but that's, you know, for, for every one of those, I'm gaining someone who actually reads and gets something out of whatever. It, yeah. Right. And so I think that that, that exchange, um, online, that, that experience of sharing part of who you are as part of your social media profile, um, is really important as is taking care of yourself first before, um, trying to take care yeah. of others. The one thing, um, just to pick up on that, which is interesting when you think about the beginning of our conversation and how you had come into the school and come into my classes. I remember that the idea of putting anything out there as far as at that time it was blogging. It was all about blogging because Twitter yeah. wasn't around. But I remember having a conversation with you where you encouraged me to write some of these things down that I was doing and, and put it out there. And honestly, that's where my journey of sharing publicly information started was when you came into the school and we had those conversations. And then I remember, um, because we're dating ourselves a bit here, but you know, things like Facebook and stuff had just come around and, and all that stuff was new. Social media still wasn't a thing I fully grasped, but the idea of starting to blog came from our conversations and um, then still now seeing you do your daily writing and all that inspires me to think about um, the processes I'm going through. They might be different between you and I and same for other people, but it does inspire me to connect with the things that are important to me. And then the feeling of how do I want to share this? And, um, you know, I don't have a lot of people that 
necessarily comment on my stuff, but I do see that people are reading it. And um, other than putting it out there for other people, it keeps me accountable to myself about how am I keeping my routines healthy? What am I doing and how am I changing over time? What kind of impact is this having on not just my life, but in the way that I'm leading in my school and the way that I'm interacting with others. And actually it has a massive impact. It has a huge um, change in how I see myself and how I am better able to serve others. So it's pretty interesting. Well, that's a wonderful place to end. Jonathan, uh, not everybody goes to the website where I'm going to put links to things. So uh, your Twitter name and your blog location. Okay, so the Twitter name is at Jonathan Slater, just like you spell my name. And um, except that uh, Jonathan Jonathan does not have an H in it. No H. J O N A T H A N. Last name is S C L A T E R. Um, and my blog is um, basically Imagine Fun Learning, um, and I believe it's Blogspot dot com or something like that but if you typed in imagine fun learning and blogspot you'll get there i it's interesting because i kept that from early on like i just described when we um, talked early on about putting some of my ideas in writing so i have ideas way back from when i was starting out this whole journey in imaginative education and in my teaching you know some of those ideas um, and things I shared, some of them were even more political about FSAs and different things. Um, some of them were about the idea of how kids learn. I don't necessarily think all those same things again, but I've decided to keep using that same blog now because it's an evolution of who I am. Yes. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. And I just basically recently picked that back up again and my writing is completely different than it was when I started out. Um, the the length of my writing, the content of my writing, but I decided not to start a new blog. I was just going to keep the same one going. So something about Imagine Fun Learning. <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well the, the key thing is if you go on Twitter, you can get the link. And that's right. That's the start. Yeah. Hey, Jonathan, thank you for your time this morning. Thanks, it's, uh, it's fantastic to chat. And, uh, you know, I, I, I know that we'll have a, a few more. Sounds good. Take care. If you enjoyed learning with me, independent of time, space, and place on this podcast, please remember to give it a like. Thank you.